Human rights are women's rights. Change the world. <laughs> special edition of Global Dispatches. This is Mark Goldberg, your host, and today, June 20th, is World Refugee Day. Earlier this week, the UN Refugee Agency released a report stating that the number of people displaced around the world is at a record 20-year high. I have on the line with me Shelley Pittman from the UN Refugee Agency's Washington, D.C. office, who explains what is driving those numbers, uh, how the UN Refugee Agency is responding to this crisis, and what we, uh, and by we I mean us as individuals and the international community, can do to help refugees around the world. Here we go. Have a listen. Enjoy. Uh, so we are speaking on World Refugee Day, and the UN Refugee Agency earlier this week released a report citing uh, a 20-year high in the number of refugees and displaced around the world. Uh, what is accounting for this uh, surge? Is, is it principally Syria? Uh, the, uh, thank you for uh, the question. The, the report uh, that we issued on global trends uh, cites figures at the end of 2012. So it's important to remember that the significant increase in the number of Syrian refugees actually kicked in as of the beginning of this year, where there was just a phenomenal acceleration in the outflow uh, of refugees from Syria on the order of sometimes 8,000 persons per day. So the, the situation as of the end of 2012 was largely a function of what was going on in Mali. Uh, outside uh, uh, flows from the DRC continued outflows from Sudan and from South Sudan. And so how many, how many people are we talking about globally? We're talking about a, an, an amazing figure of 45.2 million people who are displaced because of conflict, of whom about 15 million are refugees. Uh, 10 million are actually of concern to UNHCR, uh, being forced by war, and 5 million uh, are Palestinian refugees who are uh, under the mandate of the UN Relief and Works Agency. Uh, So the... You mentioned sort of Syria as being the principal driver, although Mali, uh, of course, is another um, is another uh, key factor in in this sort of increase in this new sort of high figure that your report cites. Um, talking about Syria, where are most uh, refugees from Syria? Most of the refugees from Syria are directly across uh, the respective borders of the country. Uh, They're in Jordan, they're in Lebanon, they're in Turkey. Uh, As of today, there are 1,670,000 refugees. It's an unprecedented outflow of population uh, 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 in recent history. Uh, There are about half a million refugees in Lebanon and Jordan and Turkey in each of those countries, both registered and not registered. And the the, the scope of the impact uh, in Iraq, in Egypt, uh, and, uh, and, and now in points 
farther away uh, is growing. Uh, and we shouldn't forget the, the significant number of internally displaced populations in Syria, uh, people who are moving each day as the, as the various uh, front lines shift uh, around major conflict areas, Aleppo, Homs, Dara, and so on. So I'm wondering if you could take me through uh, the experience of a typical refugee who is fleeing violence in Syria to Jordan and interacts in some way with the UN Refugee Agency. How does so – what is that first point of interaction and how does the UN Refugee Agency help this fleeing person? It varies in each country. The UNHCR is present at the borders uh, Clearly, it's the responsibility of the respective uh, governments, Jordan, Lebanon, Turkey, and so on, Iraq, uh, to, manage, uh, to manage their borders. Uh, we advocate uh, vociferously for open borders. We appreciate that there's an enormous challenge for the neighboring countries to receive so many tens of thousands of people on a regular basis, and that it's beginning to have a considerable impact on, on the social fabric, on the local economy, uh, on uh, the politics as well uh, in, in certain respects of the, of the, of the host countries. Uh, when the refugees do arrive and they cross and they're registered, uh, UNHCR then uh, is, a, is there uh, either in the refugee camps, uh, and there are only so many refugee camps. Most of the refugees are actually outside refugee camps in, in neighborhoods and cities and villages. Um, and we have premise, we have uh, positions uh, extensively uh, so that people can approach us and get registered in order to benefit from, from various types of assistance. What, um, so uh, what assistance do they benefit from? Do they qualify uh, once they're registered? Because my understanding is that registration is also an important legal um, uh, uh, legal documentation as well, and a legal process. Absolutely, as in as in every refugee situation, uh, UNHCR makes it a point uh, from the point of view of protection uh, of ensuring documentation, so that the refugees then, under national and international standards, are able to benefit from from any available opportunity, whether it's work or, uh, or freedom of movement or access to uh, education and to uh, social services like health, uh, we try to ensure that the refugees are, are registered. We also want to be able to monitor for purposes of the efficiency of our service delivery that uh, we're, we're giving it to the right person uh, and that when they eventually do go home, we're able to facilitate their return. Um, uh, you have to remember as well that uh, refugees are giving birth, that they're new babies, and it's important to, to register birth uh, in asylum so that when the refugee child goes back home, they're able to regularize their status and establish their, their nationality back, uh, back home. So, um, so is UNHCR sort of giving almost like, uh, like legal, like, like uh, identity cards to refugees as they, when they get registered? We give we give documentation, or the or the host government is giving documentation, and the mm -hmm. the, the situation varies. In, in in Turkey, for example, 
the government there is uh, much more hands-on, much more directly engaged in the management of the refugee assistance operation. Um, we have, uh, it, it needs to be remembered that the, no one organization is able to cope with the, uh, with the enormity of this particular task, and so there's enormous collaboration with, uh, with voluntary organizations, faith-based organizations. The non-governmental community has been mobilized uh, uh, at an unprecedented level to, to work uh, together uh, with, uh, also with other UN organizations. Uh, I mentioned WFP, the World Food Program. I'll mention uh, OCHA, the Office for the Coordination for Humanitarian Affairs, which deals uh, uh, aggressively with the situation inside Syria as well. Um, and we all try our best to work together uh, in providing assistance. And what kind of assistance uh, to refugees arriving in uh, refugee camps does UNHCR provide? Uh, the basics, uh, shelter, food, water, uh, primary education. Uh, you have to remember that uh, three-quarters of the refugees are women and children. So there's, a, there's a, a considerable and quite deliberate focus on all that is uh, related to providing safe uh, premises for, for girl students uh, to provide access to primary education. Uh, we have um, quite a dramatic problem of sexually-based gender violence. Uh, in some locations, which needs to be addressed through individual counseling. So in, in, in this uh, situation, we're, we're, we're stretched on the one hand to deal with tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people in some locations, while at the same time we have to give care to each and every individual um, who, who requires our attention. Uh, so uh, the recent report uh, you know, cited a record number in the last 20 years of refugees in, to, in 2012. Is the UN Refugee Agency able to cope with this influx? Uh, do you have the staffing, the wherewithal, the resources to keep up? We have the wherewithal. Uh, we have, uh, I, I dare say, excellent staff, and we, like I mentioned earlier, work uh, in close collaboration with other organizations. So we pool our resources uh, wherever we can. Um, we're short, uh, clearly, in terms of our global appeals. Uh, we've raised record amounts of money um, from our traditional governmental uh, contributors, especially the United States, the European Commission, and the European Union, uh, European states, the Nordic states, Japan. Uh, we've received uh, a very generous contribution uh, from uh, some Gulf states, uh, and, uh, but we're still short. And the focus on Syria now uh, has, by the nature of the way governments have been setting up their humanitarian assistance uh, budgets, put pressure on us in relation to uh, refugee needs uh, in other parts of the world. Uh, if I can just quickly mention that you know, we're faced, uh, last year we were faced with four concurrent emergencies out of the DRC, the Democratic Republic of the Congo, uh, the Sudan, uh, the Mali emergency, and the Syria emergency. Uh, and uh, this uh, 
trend that we've seen in the growth of refugee numbers and internal, dis internal displacement is coupled with a reduction in the number of solutions, in the number of people who are finding solutions and being able to repatriate voluntarily uh, once the political problem that forced them to flee is resolved. So we also have quite a number of protracted situations, refugee situations that have been going on for 10, 15, or more years, uh, which also require uh, ongoing uh, material and political support. And you're saying that the uh, sort of headline-grabbing nature and the, the, the sort of more acute emergency of Syria is sort of sucking up donor resources and, and donors' attention at the expense of some of these longer-simmering conflicts? Indeed, to, to be quite specific about it, uh, it's true that some governments, the United States is one, um, and the, the European Union is another, have, have uh, been able to generate additional monies to, to, to help address the quite, uh, you know, unprecedented needs uh, in Syria uh, right now without jeopardizing their core contributions to UNHCR for uh, its ongoing requirements around the world. But, it's, but it, it is true that there is an, an important stress on UNHCR and, uh, and on other organizations as well uh, that have to provide support to the millions of refugees uh, in Africa, in Asia, in Southwest Asia, uh, in, uh, in, in Latin America, the Colombian uh, internal displacement, and so on. Uh, and final question, uh, if people listening to this want to help, want to feel inspired in some way, where, what should they do? How can they help? Uh, where should they direct their energies? Uh, the, simple, the simple answer, there are many ways to help. Uh, uh, if, uh, if there's a, a dime in the pocket or perhaps more, uh, then uh, to go to the UNHCR uh, website, www.unhcr.org. There's a specific website as well uh, in the United States uh, for the regional office uh, in Washington um, it, uh, where, where people can go. Uh, it's unhcrwashington.org. Um, but there are other ways to help as well uh, in terms of uh, in terms of building uh, a sense of welcome and contribution for refugees who are being resettled in the United States and around the world, um, to confront xenophobia wherever wherever that's wherever that seems to be present or popping up, peaking up, uh, there there are many ways where we need to to build the community support to keep the doors open to keep the borders open to allow refugees to seek asylum. Um, the, global, the global trends numbers reflect that there's a new, in, a, a person is displaced because of political violence once every four seconds. And uh, the normal human being blinks about 15 times a minute. So in a way, that's to say that every time you blink, there's a person who's either forced to leave their home or forced to cross a border. Uh, well, Shelley, thank you so much for your time uh, on a very busy World Refugee Day for you. Yes, it is, and we, uh, we thank you very much for giving us this uh, opportunity and to every, all of the listeners for doing whatever they can. 
Well, thank you very much to Shelley. And as I mentioned at the outset of the podcast, this is a special edition of Global Dispatches. The typical traditional edition features in-depth interviews, usually lasting about 45 minutes to an hour, of foreign policy influencers, thinkers, strategists, you name it. I talk to these folks about their life, their career, what early influences shaped their foreign policy worldviews, uh, and these discussions tend to be actually pretty interesting and, and kind of personal as well. Uh, so tune in for that. You can check us out on iTunes, or if you're on UN Dispatch right now, you can look at our archives of recent conversations. Uh, talk to you soon. Thanks. Thanks.